Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 faith community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. Hey, how are you? It's, it, it, is, it has been a minute since we've done this together, but I'm really glad to uh, be with you. I would say it feels great to be with you, but it actually feels sweaty to be with you. Um, uh, there's a thing going on in the Bird Theater today. You know, you wait five months to come back together, and then, then the AC becomes a thing, but we'll, we'll get that squared away. Um, but uh, we're, we're really glad to be back together again and uh, to be with you. Thanks for those of you who were able to be here, those of you who are watching online. I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're with us as well as we, uh, as we continue this journey as a church. Um, it has been a really, really weird year. I don't know if you noticed, um, but there's stuff... I ain't even talking about a pandemic, although we'll get there. But like, if you go back to January 1, do you remember what everyone was talking about then? World War III. I don't know why, but that was all over social media. There's this thing about we're going to go to war and I blowing stuff. I don't know. It was weird. And then like a bunch of stuff happened. And this is pre-March 13th, so you don't even remember it, right? It's like, what? wait, we did what back then? Like back then, do you remember... This, let's get nostalgic for before March 13th. Let's get nostalgic for a second, way back in 2020. Do you remember, like, um, th- th- there was, yes, World War III. There was an impeachment trial of our president. Do you remember that was happening? Uh, there was, um, Kobe Bryant died. That was really sad. That was a big deal in, in the basketball world in the world. That was, you know, late February. Um, everybody was, like, standing brooms up in their kitchen. <laughs> Do you guys remember that? And then a pandemic happened. I'm not saying those two events are related, but they might be. <laughs> they might be. I don't know what y'all were doing, but people were putting brooms up, and then March 13th happened, and then everybody's hoarding toilet paper, and it's just like, what's going on? And also, like, I think, like, right now, we're looking back at hoarding toilet paper like the good old days. Like, do you remember that when we all went crazy in Costco and grabbed all toilet paper? That was fun back then. Uh, it's not, you know, very different than where we are now. And, and, I, and I, so as I've been wondering, as we've been in this weird year, and, you know, weirdness still to come, I'm sure, um, I've been wondering about uh, what are we learning from this? And so uh, I, I started making a list uh, of, of what I've been learning. And so first thing I want to tell you is if you've got questions about what I'm talking about here, text them in. We will put, we'll have a number for you. We'll put it up on the screen. You can text your questions to that number online here in the room, and it, um, I will try to answer questions at the end. Sometimes we have questions. Sometimes we don't. I'll try to answer it at the end of the, of the, of the message today, and we'll try to keep doing that. Um, but there's a couple things I learned about myself. I started writing it down, like, during this time of shelter at home and all that. Uh, all the things stopped. My kids' sports stopped. Our family schedule. We were hardly putting gas in the car. We weren't going out to eat anymore. Just all the things came to a stop. And I wanted to think, like, what have I learned in this? I don't want to miss this season of life and not get something out of it. What am I learning? You know, where, where can I grow in empathy? Where can I, whatever. So I started making a list. I got about 20 plus items on my list of things I've learned over the last couple months. I'll, let me share a couple of them for me. These are some life lessons from lockdown. Number one, I don't need more time. I need more discipline. Because all along in life pre-March, you, uh, we would say, oh, I'm just so busy. I just, if only I had a little more time, I would work out more. I would read my Bible. I would eat better. I would fill in the blank here. And then suddenly I had more time. 
And I still didn't do the things I said I was going to do. And I was like, maybe the time is not the problem. I don't need more time. I need more discipline. Um, I, need, I, I, I need to get after it, you know? Uh, second thing I learned, you can use the space bar in Zoom to unmute yourself. <laughs> I was like a month into Zoom before I found this out. So, did you laugh? Some of you are finding this out today. You're finding out right now, you're like, holy, yeah, just try it. It's like a walkie-talkie, you just push it, and it's a, but you got to be, you got, don't start talking and then push it. You got to, you push the space bar, you unmute, it's, it's fantastic. Um, number three thing I learned, there's a reason jo- Jesus told us not to worry. This was a, this was a big deal. He says it in the Sermon on the Mount, he teaches us we, we should not worry, and, and that is as true today as it is true when he said it in the Roman Empire. Uh, we need to not worry so much because there are many reasons to freak out. And this year, it seems like people are adding extra to the reasons to freak out. And, and, and that's still relevant. There, there, there needs to be something inside us that can go to that place of peace and not worry. The number four thing I learned, maybe you found this too. Most of my friends online are amateur epidemiologists. This, is, this was really good to find out. I have really smart friends and they're really good at this stuff. Maybe not your friends, but my friends online are uh, incredible at epidemiology, and it's been really good to learn from them. And to, uh, they were also during the impeachment trial. A lot of them were constitutional law experts, which is also good. Um, I'm anticipating that I'm going to get a good clinic from them on the electoral college here in about two months. So it's been really cool. It's been good to know that I have such great friends. Uh, number five is this: uh, it is it is easier than ever to misplace your confidence. It's easier than ever to misplace your confidence. We, uh, we, we have confidence in things, we trust in things, we believe in things, we put our hope in things, we, we kind of put all our energy behind something, and it has never been easier than, than now, I think, to put it into all of the wrong things and to trust the wrong things. And, and what we've seen over the last couple months um, is that we, we tend to trust some things, and then they kind of get torn down, and so we trust something else, and it gets torn down, and we kind of stake our claim, and we're all sort of grabbing at straws trying to figure out what is true, what makes sense. And, the, and I understand it in some ways. We live in a very high-information society. Um, think about this. Siri knows more than, like, a school teacher 100 years ago. Like, Siri's got it all going on, right? Like can figure all, all the information of the world. They used to weep in the ancient world when libraries burned down. The library at Alexandria in Africa, kind of a famous thing, uh, the portion of it burned down. People would weep because of the knowledge lost. You have more information in your pocket or your purse right now than the library of Alexandria had. It's incredible. And all of that information is taxing our brains. I don't know if we are, our, our brains are there yet to be able to absorb all the stimulus that's coming in, all the information. And so it become very difficult. So you try to sort through it. And then here we are in 2020, we're living in what is called a post-truth culture. And we've got news and we've got fake news. And it's very difficult to kind of figure out what is true. We used to trust science. Science is you know, we, science gives us answers since about the Enlightenment. We're like all in on science. But lately, science has had a pretty rough run. They, and, and you can go, no, no, science is good. It's just we're working out the scientific process and the method, and it takes time. And I get that, and I understand that we're watching, at least around a pandemic, we're watching the, the real-time unfolding of the scientific process, and we don't have time to do studies and peer review and journals and all that kind of stuff. I get it. But still, when you see people in science saying this, and then people say, no, no, it's this, and there's, you're just like, I don't know if I trust this. We, we, you think you can trust government. I don't know how long it's been since Americans have trusted their government. It's probably been at least 
Probably the last time we really trusted government was like 1960. But since that time, it, it's just gotten weirder. And, and, in a, and in a pandemic, when you look for your leaders of the citizens to provide you good information, you've got the president saying something, the governor says something else, and the mayor's like, no, I want to do something else. And as a, someone who lives in the city and then in the state and then in the country, you're sort of going, who am I supposed to listen to? Can you guys get together, work it out, and let me know what conclusion you come to rather than having all your press conferences and telling us contradictory things? Weird, right? It's been difficult. So can you trust that? Can you trust uh, an economic system? Uh, you know, it's, it's all well and good pre-March when f- as a country, as a nation, as a globe, we're sort of, the graphs are going up and to the right and the GDP is growing and things are good and people have jobs and people have crazy jobs of, that you couldn't even imagine years ago. Like there's lots of good stuff going on. People are making money. Not everybody. It wasn't good for everybody. I understand that. We'll get into that. But but, uh, but generally, as a country, it was good, and there was a rising tide raising all the boats, and what happens when that goes away? It's not very hard to disrupt the whole mess to put a lot of people into unemployment, and we found that out, and we were like, yo, what's, what's going on here? I, I can't have confidence in even that. Where can we place our trust and confidence this year? That's what I want to talk about, and I want to go to the scriptures for that, and I want to talk about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was an early church planter, a missionary, started churches all over the Mediterranean. Um, after Jesus, probably the most famous Christian ever, you know, the, maybe the most famous Christ follower, um, and so he, he, he had this job where he would start churches, and he ends his life on house arrest and then eventually in a Roman jail in a hole where he's eventually killed um, under, under uh, the emperor in Rome for his faith. Now that's weird if you think about it because God calls Paul to plant churches. And so if anybody in the history of the world could say, man, I am doing God's work. I am God's instrument right here. I am doing what God called me to do. It's Paul. And yet his life ends in house arrest and then in jail. And if I'm Paul, I'm sitting there going like, give me a break, God. You just put me in jail? Like you allowed me to go to jail? Like I'm doing your work. I'm the guy who's telling everybody about you. I'm start, you asked me to start churches. I went and started churches. You asked me to go to this country. I went to that country. I did it, and I'm in jail. Like, you've got to question your life decisions, right? If, he, if his path leads him to jail, you've got to question your life decisions. You've got to question God. You go, like, this isn't working. And yet, the letters Paul wrote while he was in jail, what you see, if they're a window into his mental state, you see him saying things like, I've learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or in want, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Paul writes that from jail. Like, he's like, man, it doesn't matter what they throw at me. I can be content no matter what comes along. And so Paul knows the ups and downs. Listen to what he says. I want to start there in Philippians chapter 1. This is one of the letters he wrote from house arrest. Uh, Philippians 1, we'll put it up on the screen. He's talking to the church of Philippi. Listen to what he says to them. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We talked last week about things Paul prayed about and said, man, when Paul says he's praying or talking to God, listen to what he prays about. And in this case, he's praying, he's thanking God for them, for this church. While he's in jail, he's thinking of the church out there that's meeting, and he's like, man, I, I, I thank God every time I think about you guys. I'm thanking God for you because of your partnership in the gospel. This idea that Jesus is king, and he's come to bring the enemies of God close to God, and he's opening a whole new kingdom, a whole new way of being, a whole new way to relate to our heavenly father. That's the gospel, and Paul's like, that is still going forward. I'm excited about that, that we started something. And then he says, 
uh, verse 6, which I, I really like. He says, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until the day of completion in Christ Jesus. Here's what he's saying. I'm confident of this. Here's where my confidence is. That God has saved you, and he's not going to let you dangle. That God has a plan. That the disruption, the trouble, the trial, the pandemic, the war, the economy, all of these things, they're going to come at you. But I'm confident of this, Paul says, that God is not going to leave you hanging. That he's got you. That he has your back. That he who began a good work, he started something in you. He, I'm confident that he will not let you fall, but he is going to complete that good work work in you. These are some attributes of God we learn from, from Paul here. We, we learn just by reading that, we learn that God is trustworthy. Paul, Paul's pointing to the trustworthiness of God, that he, will, that, he will, uh, that he will show up. We learn that God is faithful to us, that he's, that he's always there, um, and that he's working hard no matter where we are. And that's good news. For some of you, uh, you may feel very far from God. Maybe the last couple months has made you feel far from God. Circumstances in your life. Maybe right now, being part of a church at all, you feel distant from God. Um, and, and I want you to know, and you may not feel this right now, so let's not just go off of how we're feeling. But I want you to know that God is pursuing you. That he desires relationship with you. And if there's a distance there, it's probably not because he moved. It's because you moved away. You st- you've stepped away. And, and that's okay. Just know that it's happening. You're like, man, God's not working for me. He's not, he's, he's not interested in my situation. He has like world leaders or something he needs to take care of, whatever. No, God is big enough to, to know your struggles as well. And, he's, and he sees you there. He is faithful and trustworthy. Um, so if, if you're skeptical, I, I, I get that. I, I'm, a, I'm pretty skeptical myself. I think a feature of modern society is that we are skeptical people. A function of having the knowledge of the world in our pocket on a phone is we are skeptical of almost any claim to truth that anybody makes. If you're not skeptical, you're probably not paying attention. If you don't have doubts, you're probably you know, naive or something. Like, I get that. Skepticism is in the air in America. And so if that's you, I get that. And I'm just glad you're here, and I'm glad you're willing to, to check it out and and. and and notice what, and maybe discover what God is doing. So those of you who are uh, far from God or, or near from God, God is drawing you to himself. Um, he is wanting to be in relationship with you. Those of you who are Christians, God is doing the work of transforming you. This is what Paul says. He who began a good work will be faithful to the end and, and will, will complete it in you. He's doing this transformation work. There's a word for this in the New Testament of, of God's spirit inside you doing his work. It's called sanctification. It's not a word we use, sanctify, sanctification. It's not a word we use outside of church very much. But it is basically the process of God forming and shaping you from the inside out to become like Christ. This is when you sign up to be a follower of Jesus, you are entering into this process. You're saying God's spirit is going to live in me and he's going to work me over in a good way, <laughs> usually, um, and I'm going to become more like him, and he's going to sanctify me. He's going to root out the things that are crappy in me and make them better. He's going to take the darkness and start shining light on it and, and fixing things that are inside of him. Um, this, is, this is an incredible thing. Think of it this way. There is a gap between who you are and who you want to be. There's a gap there. 
I don't care if you're killing it, or you're crushing it, you're amazing right now, or things are going really well, or whatever. There's still a gap between who you are and who you want to be. And I say that not knowing every one of you. Like, I don't know all of your story and all the things you struggle with, but here's what I do know about the human condition. We all struggle. We all got stuff. And so you have stuff, and, and, and I have stuff, and, and God is at work on that stuff, and there's a gap. Even if you don't believe in God, there's a gap between who you are and who you want to be. I don't know if you call it like, oh, I want, to, I want to lose weight, or I want to get stronger, or I want to be nicer, or I want to be a little more patient, or whatever it is, like you've got these things in your life. If you give an honest accounting of your life, I'm not talking about you on your very best day when the sun is shining, you're well-employed, and your family relationships are good, and everything is great. That's nice. I mean average you, like just on a regular day when you're a little bit snappy with people, when you're a li- you made that joke you probably shouldn't have made, and when you, you, know, when you went, gave into lust or lying or whatever, like... That's real, and there's a gap between just in your own heart. Take God out of the equation for a second. You know I am not who I would like to be. And then on top of that, I will add, you are not who God's calling you to be either. A holy, perfect, righteous God is looking at you going, man, you, you, like, you do drop the ball. You do fall short of the glory of God, but he doesn't just leave you there. He enters you. His Holy Spirit comes to live inside you and starts to do the work with you. Uh, to, to, to make you who he's calling you to be. Um, the Holy Spirit doesn't leave us dangling. What is the Holy Spirit inside of us trying to do? Paul writes about that in another one of his letters, Galatians 5. Let me read this to you. This is pretty famous. If you grew up in church, you learned this at VBS camp as a kid or something. Uh, it says, the fruit of the Spirit, this is what the Spirit is trying to produce in you, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, if you grew up in the church, you probably like know a song for that. Uh, I, I joined church too late in my life to know the song, but I'm sure there's a song for this. Um, look, there's probably like a singing fruit on YouTube somewhere that will sing you that song. Uh, it's the, the Christian subculture is weird, y'all. Um, <laughs> love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When he says the fruit of the thing, he's saying, what is this trying to produce? So the fruit of an apple tree, it makes apples, right? The fruit of a pear tree, it makes pears. The fruit of God's Holy Spirit living inside of you is, is those things. It is trying to produce in you to, and to make you a more loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, gentle, kind, self-controlled person. That's what the Spirit is trying to do in you, and, and that, that's the work that he does. Um, and I think there's immense value in those things. Our culture tends to value the wrong things. Our culture will say, um, you should be wealthy, you should be good looking, you should be in this kind of shape. And then our culture will say, yeah, but some of that's a little shallow. You should then support these causes. You should give to this. You should do this hashtag. You should get all about these sort of things. You should, you know, buy organic and on all of these things that our culture sort of says, this is what it looks like to be a, a good person. And interestingly enough, that list of things from the culture misses this list by a mile. Like, there's just not a lot of overlap there. When was the last time our culture was like, here's a class on how to be patient? Sign up for my course on patience. Yeah, no one's signing up for that. That's the, that's the good stuff, but nobody will sign up for that. Really, if you want to be patient, have a toddler. Then you'll learn, right? Uh, but but that's, that's the stuff. Our culture doesn't point us to the, to the right things. Um, 
And, and Paul is, is pointing to it and saying, no, no, we're, we're, we're going we're, to, I want to teach you. Um, we, we, in our culture, we tend to value financial plans, getting wealthy, getting healthy, being in the best shape of our life, buying free-range chicken, like buying bags made from hemp, like whatever, whatever social cause. Um, and the Spirit is doing something different in us. The Spirit, if we will take this seriously, the Spirit of God inside of us, the Holy Spirit, as He lives in us, is trying to shape us and form us to be patient and gentle and kind and, and, and joyful. This is what He's trying to do for us. And this is the good stuff. I mean, this is the values we teach to preschoolers. Don't we tell kids in preschool, back when kids used to go to things called schools, uh, don't we tell them like, no, no, I'm not making fun of it. It's, 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 it's a crazy time. Um, don't, don't we tell preschoolers like, share, use your words, be gentle, be kind. Like, these are the values that we try to instill in kids from very young. And when did those go out of style? When did we decide that those aren't the values that matter? Because those still are the values that matter. You can become rich. You can become powerful. And you can be a terrible person. We all know that's true, right? So, what, so, so we need to focus on the actual, the right things. Um, our culture says, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the Holy Spirit says, who are you going to be when you get there? Who are you going to be? That's the good stuff. That's the real stuff. At your funeral, someone will talk about you. I, you're like, well, I'm not going to be there. Who cares? But they're not going to talk about your bank account or how handsome you were. This, this stuff, were you patient? Were you loving? How did you make them feel when you entered the room? This is the stuff that matters. And this is why I like being part of a church. And I've had to wrestle that down over the last couple months. Because for, uh, for 12 years, um, we, we, we have been meeting in the Bird Theater. And then suddenly that was taken away for months and months and months. Um, and, and there's a lot of challenges that come with that. But in the church is a place where we talk about the stuff that matters. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness. Like, where else are you going to be challenged about that? Where else are you going to address that stuff? We talk about it here. We talk about, hey, lust issues. How's that going? Hey, anger. How's that going? Hey, how are you doing this thing in your marriage? Hey, how is this working in your dating life? Like, we talk about that stuff here because this is the stuff of life. This is the stuff that matters. This is the stuff God's Spirit is working on in us and trying to, to shape us. It's, it's, it's powerful. And so uh, the church... Man, it's, it, it's an incredible thing to be a part of. But during lockdown, I, was, I, I had my moments of struggle with the whole thing. When you're used to a routine of this, at least this kind of gathering, we've been doing other things, but this kind of gathering for years, decades, um, and it's suddenly taken away, you just start questioning things like, well, well then now what? Like, what, does, what works? What doesn't work? What are we trying to do? How are we accomplishing it? And so you, you, you kind of re-engineer all sorts of things and start thinking through, what is God's spirit telling us in this moment? What, what can we learn here? Um, how do we need to shift? And, and, I, and I do feel like God's been pulling us in areas of discipleship and, and, and some creative ways to love and serve the city. I, I feel like God's been pulling us forward. Um, and it, but it's, it is incredible to be a part of the church. Um, most of the days, I love my job. Um, but I do have the days where my job sucks. And I've had people... Lots of people tell me, 
um, that they would never want to do my job. Um, I don't know, do you get that at your job too? You probably do. Uh, I have a lot of people, oh, I'd never want to do your job, um, which I, I, I get, and I appreciate, but um, part of me feels like, yeah, but this is good stuff. Like, even on bad days, I'm still doing something that, that I, at least I feel like it really matters. I still get to be part of the Spirit's work here. Um, yeah, my job sucks when, um, you know, I was talking to another pastor uh, of a church just outside of Richmond, and he said, uh, they're meeting together like this, and, and he said, um, I had someone in my office in tears because we didn't push hard enough to, have, to make everybody wear a mask all the time. And they thought that we were going to kill people. And they were in tears, and they were mad at me. He said, 24 hours later, I had someone in my office in tears because we're giving into this whole mask conspiracy, and why are we telling people to wear masks? And, um, and it, you know, it's a hoax, and, and we need to have faith. You don't have enough faith to believe in Jesus, to take care of you. Um, days like that suck in my job. Um, you know, and, and pick another one, um, race. We'll talk about race next Sunday. Uh, there's a lot of conversation about that, and you speak up, and it's, you spoke up, and it was too much. You spoke up, and it was not enough. There's all of that flying around. So there are days when all of those things sort of swirl around people in leadership of all sorts of things, and in the church, we feel it too, that are, are, uh, are not my frustration, are not my favorite. Um, but I still believe in that the local church, through Jesus Christ, is the hope of the world. And I still believe in what we're doing and, and why we're doing it. And so I'm willing to push through that stuff. Yes, it's frustrating during a pandemic, uh, but it's, it's worth it. God's Spirit is still at work in this place. God's Spirit, His Holy Spirit, He, it, he does some things in the church. And he does some things in us. He convicts us. Um, one of the main roles of the Spirit of God is to convict us of our sin. Uh, let me explain a little bit quickly how that works. How does God's Spirit work on you to shape you? Love, joy, peace, patience, all that. Um, God's Spirit convicts you in your sin, of your sin in your conscience. So when you feel like, oh, I'm going to do something, and there's that voice in your head that goes like, yeah, that's not such a great idea. Um, you and I would experience that as our conscience. We would say, and you've probably had that since you were a child. There's something in you that sort of says like, yeah, this is going to be bad. I'm doing a bad thing. I probably shouldn't do the bad thing. Now, sometimes we just go, this is going to be bad, and I'm going to do it anyway. Um, but my experience has been that, that God's Spirit shows up there in that voice, in my conscience, in my head, in my heart. And, and sometimes, and this is how I know it's God, sometimes God's spirit pricks me and pokes at me in a way that isn't obvious. It's not the normal thing. Like, you know, if, if, you, if you give in to lust or murder or something, you know, if you wanted to murder someone, there's something in your head that might go, yeah, that's not such a good idea, and that you could just go, that's your conscience. But there's other things that God works on me about, and, and, and I would say works on you, and works on a lot of people in this room, that just seem like it's a little out of left field. Like it's one thing to not do the bad thing, it's, it's another thing when God's Spirit starts working on you and going, let's talk about your motives for even doing good things. Oh, snap, I'm not ready for that level of analysis. But if we're going to talk about you being gentle, you being patient, you being kind, we're going to have to get into motives and, and secret, secretive behavior and, and the thoughts that run through your head when you do that. Like, that's the stuff that when I'm like, okay, that is the Spirit of God at work in my heart. He speaks to me through, this conscience, through the conscience. He also speaks to me through um, 
other people sometimes who are, who are connected to his word. Um, but, but I would say one of the main ways God's spirit speaks to me is through the scripture. Um, the scripture is, um, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God-breathed. So uh, when we read the Bible, it is God, the breath of God, the spirit of God, inspired the Bible to be the way it is. And so when we read it, sometimes we come across stuff and go, oh man, that hits a little too close to home. That is a, a thing that I need, I need to worry about and to think about. Um, and so that, there's these curveballs that God kind of throws you from, from the Scripture. Now when I say the Spirit of God inspired the, the Bible, um, it's not like... Uh, I would say the words that we have are the words God wanted us to have. And the writers wrote them kind of in their personalities and temperaments and all that kind of thing. Um, and it's not like God's spirits uh, put their hand down and made them start writing like it's Rita Skeeter's quill pen or something. And just started, oh, the spirit of God. Like, and there it goes. That's a nerdy Harry Potter joke. If you don't get it, it's fine. Um, but, but the spirit um, inspires those writers to, to write what they write. And so when I read it, I go, oh, this is the word of God for me. This is... This is what God wanted me to hear. And this is important because some people go like, I want the Spirit to speak to me and tell me something. And I'm like, cool, he has already told you things and written them down. Like, go there first. Oh, God's Spirit's telling me this. Yeah, but that's like completely the opposite of what it says in the Bible. So you might want to check that. Like, as a parent, this t- makes a ton of sense to me. As my kids get older and, like, they can read, you write things down for them. Hey, do your chores. What am I supposed to do? It's written on the wall. We wrote it down so you would know what you're supposed to do. Or, like, when they're old enough to read a clock, and they're like, what time is it? There's a clock right there. We even got a digital one because they know that we won't, they're not teaching you the hand thing in school anymore or whatever. Like, it is there. Read it. It's on the wall. It's not that hard. Oh, but wait, I'd rather just ask you. And I, and I just wonder, is like the spirit of God like that? You're like, God, what should I do? And he's like, I wrote it down. It's there. It's on the wall. It's in a book. It's like you can get them anywhere. There's digital ones. It's on that phone you have. I, I, thankfully, I think God's spirit is more patient than I am with toddlers. But, but, but th- th- there's a thing there, right? Like uh, it, it's written down for us. And, and God's spirit works in that and uses those words to convict us, help us to grow more patient, um, more kind, more gentle, that, that kind of stuff. Um, that this is, this is the, what, what God is, is doing. Um, and, and I think if the Spirit of God is in us making us stronger and helping us grow and make us more resilient, don't you think like we need more of that? Don't you think like the people of God need to be more resilient? Don't you feel like the average person just needs to be more resilient and, and, and grow? Because um, that's the work that God's Spirit is doing in us. Um, because life is hard. It is. Um, and, it, and it has, it, it, it's been harder than this. Um, I know this is a weird year, maybe a uh, sort of a, if, if I hear the word unprecedented one more time, I'm going to lose my mind. But it's, it's, it's been different. It's, it's not 1918, uh, four years of World War I followed by the Spanish flu. And then, you know, eventually that rolled into, you know, a, a Great Depression and Dust Bowl. Um, it's not quite that, um, but it's not great. And there are people who have lost jobs, lost loved ones. Uh, the last half of a year or so uh, has just not been a great thing. And even those who haven't lost jobs or loved ones have experienced some pretty significant mental health challenges and depression and suicidal thoughts and all that kind of stuff. 
Um, and it, it has been a weird year, and there's some hard stuff out there. And I just want to ask you to wrap up. Where are you going to place your confidence? Where do you, where do you place your trust? Are you going to place your confidence in government to get it right? Is your confidence in a vaccine? Because even if there's a vaccine, not everybody's going to take it, right? Like, that's pretty, pretty well known. Um, is your confidence there? Is your confidence in an election? If only we elect the right person, this is going to be, it's going to be fine. It reminds me of King David uh, in the Old Testament, who was a warrior, who's a fighter, who's a king, you know, he's a poet, he's a lot of things. Uh, and, and he wrote in Psalm 44, 6, For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. And we could insert a lot of things into that, into that psalm. For not in my 401k do I trust, nor can my retirement save me. Not in my job choice do I trust, nor can my, can my government save me. Not like, and he turns it towards the Lord. Um, I think for a lot of people this year, their confidence has been shaken. And it's been shaken in, in the stuff that we trusted, the stuff that we knew, the stuff that we relied on. But I think God allows that, allows us to have our confidence shaken. Tim Keller, pastor and author, says it this way, God shakes our confidence in our earthly life so that we can earn for our heavenly life where our joy is truly unshakable and where our wailing will be turned into dancing. We sang that this morning, turn our mourning into dancing. This is what we have coming for us. Beyond this life, we have hope for another, that God... Um, or that God will give us a joy that is unshakable and that there will be no more tears or sorrow. This is what we, we hope for. So where are you placing your confidence for the rest of this year? That's what I want us to think about uh, this morning. There's a, there's a lot more to talk about with that, um, and we'll, we'll jump back into it next week. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for um, being one that we can place our confidence in, that you don't fall, that you don't leave us dangling, you, you, you give us hope. You give us a future. I pray as we, uh, as we think about that, as we think about what we hold on to in such a weird year, that, um, that you give us a better way forward, that you point us to, uh, to you, you draw us to you. God, I thank you that for the truth that you have begun a good work in us and your spirit will live in us and will be faithful to complete that. I thank you for the wisdom of that, the truth of that, that you don't let us struggle alone, that you, even when we feel alone, you are with us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.